0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Every June, the American Association of Independent Music, or A2IM, holds Indie Week in New York City. This is a conference for indie labels and their partners, and this year I moderated a panel about investing in independent labels. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Hill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from MerchTable. MerchTable was created by musicians to help other musicians sell directly to their fans. For 15 years, they've worked with a diverse range of artists to deliver an exceptional customer experience. From projects as big as top 10 billboard ranking pre-orders to jobs as small as helping a band sell their first t-shirt, MerchTable can do it all. Visit MerchTable.com. On today's show, I talk to people in the money game about how they get into the music game, and vice versa. It's all coming up on The Future of What.
1: Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business.
0: Support for The Future of What comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Jason Peterson from Go Digital Media Group, Nari Matsura from Mazarski Consulting and Matthew Carvajal from JP Morgan. So I'm going to go down the line first and I'd like everybody to introduce themselves and tell you guys what they do.
2: My name is Jason Peterson again. I run Go Digital. We are a technology-enabled intellectual property rights management business. We operate a portfolio of companies across the media landscape, several of which are in the music space, including a label and a distributor named Sync Music. That's C-I-N-Q music. And a multi-platform network, very similar to Vivo or MTV, called Vita Primo, but specifically targeted at Hispanic millennials.
3: My name is Nari Matsura, and I'm a partner at Masarski Consulting. And we do uh, valuations for record labels and independent music publishers, whether it's for their financing needs or their fiduciary requirements for banks, also for Sellers and borrowers all across the spectrum. We've looked at every single conceivable format, genre, life cycle. So, looking forward to talking about the valuation process as well.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Matthew Carvajal. I'm a vice president within JP Morgan's Entertainment Industries Group. I focus on music, music finance, television finance, and film finance. Generally speaking, we deal with. Anything from the smaller scale independence all the way up to the larger conglomerates, both in the music and in the uh, film and television space. The way that I put it is our group is specialized on intellectual property assets, mainly lending to intellectual property assets. And I always joke around that we're very good at understanding the long-term value of cash flows and not necessarily we are very well in tune to lending to businesses with a loss. So that's why I probably fit in very well here. But we understand just long-term catalog value.
0: So if if you're an independent label owner like me, you did not go to business school and you did not come at this job with the idea of growing your company into a multi-million dollar conglomerate, which doesn't mean you can't do that. And perhaps you should. But I think the the thing that we're trying to get out of this panel today is sort of what are the steps that you would take as an independent label to grow your company using the investment stuff that's out there? So I just recently learned that there are these two things called debt and equity. And that these are two different ways of financing your company. So I wanted to get started by having somebody, maybe Jason start talking about the difference between debt and equity financing.
2: Sure. So generally speaking, Debt is when somebody loans you money and you have to pay back that money with interest. Equity is when somebody essentially buys into your business, looking towards participating in the profits of the business. And every market has a life cycle. Every company has a life cycle. You need different types of partners, both debt and equity, and within debt and equity, different types of partners at different points in your life cycle.
0: This is a general question for everybody. When would you tell an indie label to pursue an investment opportunity? Like at what point in the life of an indie label? Because you know, there are labels like mine that are 26 years old. There's labels that are 6 months old but they're doing really well. You know, they're in let's say EDM or hip hop and they've and they've got a couple runaway hits. Like when would you tell people to start looking into this?
2: Maybe I can tee that up for the two of you. So, as a brand new company, You'll have no history, probably no asset base. You're going to have to work with an equity investor. It's analogous to maybe in the technology space, right? If you have just an idea or maybe a prototype product, you're going to need to find a venture capitalist or an angel investor who's going to do a series seed or a series A with you because you have not proven a validated business model. You have no traction in the market yet. Once you have traction in the market, you maybe have customers. You maybe have an asset base. Now your options open up. You can work with a lender like JP Morgan or anybody else who will loan money against your asset base, against your receivables. They'll want to know what your assets worth. So they're going to want you to work with an appraiser and maybe Nari and and Matt can talk a little bit more about that.
4: So from the beginning standpoints, I think that you're always going to be sitting within some kind of an equity financing round, uh, at least in the very beginning stages, just from a lending standpoint in order to really get to the size and scale of bank financing you're going to want to get some kind of a decent-sized catalog that we can margin off of. The way that bank lending traditionally works is based off of usually an EBITDA. There's there's really a few ways that we lend. Can you define EBITDA for the audience? (laughs) So we traditionally leverage on two separate multiples. One is just call it a multiple based on your income statement, your net publisher share. That's one of the multiples that we lend against. And then the other one that we lend against is a catalog value. So once you've actually accumulated a decent uh, sized catalog that's diversified, that has known cash flows, that is expected to generate cash flows in the future, that's the point in time when you can really get a bank to come in and really specifically lend against that asset class. In the very beginning, while you're developing and growing your business and acquiring assets, you're you're likely going to need a pure equity. And the reason is just, as senior lenders, we traditionally are less risk adverse. We are we have a known you mean um, more risk averse. Sorry. We are way more risk adverse. Yeah, I <laughs> misspoke. We, we will always be the first money out, right? If you borrow 20, 30, 40 million dollars from a lending syndicate, the first losses will always go to the equity and we will always look for some kind of a cushion. But at the same time, our returns are known and we, our debt structures usually cost anywhere from LIBOR. They're always LIBOR based, but LIBOR plus 250 to 350. So, sub 4% cost of capital. And of course,
2: they're going to loan money against what the assets are worth or pre- expected to produce in the future, which is what you yeah. might rely
3: so, on. So, to that point, in terms of building up your catalog so that you have an expected cash flow that you think will be generated in the future which is why banks will come in later in the process as as opposed to initially. So we will look at at least three to five years of income statements. And what we do is, well, we look for those factors that make a catalog less risky. So are there stable cash flows? What kind of a catalog is it? Is it a golden oldies catalog? Is it a standard evergreen where you have systematic earnings year over year that are growing with the industry? Or is this something that is more hit driven where there are huge peaks, but there are also rapid declines that are there in the very early in the life cycle. So then the question there is how far and when will they fall and at what point will they reach stable state? Or are you a catalog that's diversified and has a little bit of both? So what we do is we look at the top titles that are generating, say, 80%. You can look at it as a rough 80-20 rule. 80% 80% of the earnings. And we'll look at them literally title by title, income type by income type, and see how these income types are trending. And look at the sales, the airplay, what have you, all the different factors, the number of streams, and we'll build out the future value of these separate titles.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that basically you need to have been around for like two to five years in order to possibly get, let's say, equity funding. Is well,
2: that actually, true? I think what... Matt was saying, was that you have to start with equity. Somebody's got to invest in the business initially. It's usually right. either you, friends and family, angel investors. Maybe you'll get some professional money if you have a big vision.
4: You're always going to have to start with something.
2: Uh, I, and I would like right. to note also, though, that aside from the sort of traditional music bank finance where the bank is going to loan a company like mine Money and Mussarski and Associates might do the appraisal to figure out what the assets are worth that the bank's lending. Against, aside from that, as, a, as an, a, a smaller company, a newer company, You can get an SBA loan here in the U.S., which not all banks do, but a lot of banks do. They'll loan to much newer companies, much higher loan-to-value ratios, which we'll talk about in a minute. You can also get personal loans from the bank. In the early days, the bank will look mostly to the personal credit of the business owner. In the later days, they'll look to the business itself and may not require any personal guarantees from the owner. But if you're just starting out, I highly recommend you look at SBA finance. And, and other sort of personal, uh, small business, business, business administration. administration. Our administration yeah. Yeah. And you can, they have a, a website that uh, goes through all the different programs they have. They'll loan up to $5 million under a program called 7A. And that's primarily based on forecasts. Most banks loan money based on the historical performance of a business. Music finance is a little bit of a hybrid, but just traditionally, in most industries, banks loan on historical performance. The SBA, which is a government entity, will ensure the bank against losses up to 90 percent. Therefore, the bank is willing to take more of a risk on the borrower and they'll loan based on a business plan, essentially.
0: Talk for a second about what you just said about having a vision. So what is it, you know, if you're still in the early days of your business, let's say you got your SBA loan, let's say you're, you know, moving forward. What is it that would attract equity investment to a business? Is it is it some sort of like you know, I signed this kid when he was 18, and now he's blowing up the charts. And But it's, he's our only big artist. And then we've got three other artists that are not as...
2: I think the answer is it depends. You know, if it's a professional investor, first and foremost, they're going to want to see you're in a large and fast-growing market. Secondly, they're going to, you know, depending on where they are in your life cycle, right? Again, in traditional equity parlance, you're going to go through a series seed. Someone's going to bet on you when you have an idea. And you might put in some of your own money and go to friends and family and say, hey, let's raise... Hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever the number is, right? Then you might come to market with uh, with a product. In our case, right, the music business, it might be an artist, it might be a, a record. If you have traction, then you might get some professional investors involved. You might call that your Series A. And so, you know, it 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 just depends, though. Just um, depends. It just depends. From a vision standpoint, professional investors want to know that you have are in a large and fast growing market and have a vision for a business that can be quite large because they're going to look for something like a 30% internal rate of return. That's basically the annual return on their money, right? So okay. if they put in a million dollars and they're in your business, uh, professional investors are in businesses for on average seven to nine years, right? They got to get a lot of money out of your business. Mm. And so if there's not an opportunity to scale because the market's too small or the market's decreasing or maybe management doesn't have a vision for building a big business, that's going to be uh, an inhibitor to raising money. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: Coast to Coast by Elliot Smith. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. After our show, check out the Metal Sucks podcast. Every episode features an interview with a member of the metal community with recent guests, including members of Between the Buried and Me, the Black Dahlia Murder, I Hate God, Royal Thunder, and more. Tune in every Monday for a new episode featuring co-hosts Brandon and Pete's insight on the latest metal news and gossip, comedy sketches, and more. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Jason Peterson from Go Digital Media Group, Nari Matsura from Mazarski Consulting, and Matthew Carvajal from JP Morgan. So something that has changed significantly in the music industry in the last few years is the streaming. Market has changed the way that we look at what we do because for years this business was album centric, right? It was the album is released, we try to maximize profits on that album for the first month, two months, whatever the cycle is. And then when the album cycle is over, we move on to the next one. And what has happened, what has like really kind of out of nowhere, like happily, but we didn't necessarily see this coming is in the last few years, streaming has made it so that there isn't necessarily that end point with an album. Albums can have extremely long lives on streaming. And I personally have found that this has made a difference in the investment community simply because I actually started getting calls from investors saying, hey, we might want to buy your catalog (laughs) because you've been around for 26 years and suddenly streaming has a value. So how has it changed for you guys, especially with your company, which started in publishing?
3: Well, streaming definitely has changed the profile of the catalogs that we've looked at. We're seeing jumps this past year in masters and also in mechanical income and publishing that we have not seen in prior years. Overall, the industry streaming is 60% up from last year and streaming makes up 50% of overall record company revenue. So it's definitely is changing our own growth forecasts. And I'm imagining from a lender's perspective, I mean, of course, Matt's going to have his own viewpoint, uh, but we've just been speaking with one of the major lenders in this space and they are trying to redefine for themselves what the meaning of a master is, like almost from a philosophical standpoint, like, is this... It's not physical inventory anymore. You know, 75% of the revenue is all digital. So you're not talking about the same level of overhead. So what is a master? Is it more just rights management? And what does this mean in terms of EBITDA if you have so much less overhead? So
2: Earnings before interest, taxes, taxes depreciation, depreciation, and amortization.
3: Exactly.
0: Did you guys get that
2: EBITDA?
3: And if there's so much growth, you know, when you look at it relative to publishing, which has always been very, very attractive to banks – and their loan to values are you know traditionally higher. But the growth is, although much more steady and there's less variability, it's just more modest at the same time. So if you're looking at records, you're starting from a smaller base just because it has fallen the level that it has, but growth is that much more possible to realize as a result.
4: I can tell you from a lending perspective, it's been a complete game changer. If you were to look back in history and I mean not even a very long history, we're talking three to five years. Publishing catalogs were the core bread and butter that banks wanted to lend against because it was a 1% to 3% growth per year and everybody was comfortable that as long as you had a diversified catalog, we were going to get our money back. And our margin on those loans would be a 50% advance rate. So you have a $10 million catalog. A bank will traditionally lend $5 million against that publishing catalog. And on top of that, what we would lend to on those catalogs would be a future projection. Luckily, in in the music space and lending on IP assets, IP assets, we're very familiar with the fact that publishing assets are long-term 30-year cash flows that we can ascribe some kind of a value to. And we would take a look at that value over the next 10 to 30 years even, and we would assign a discount rate on those values. So a few years ago, you would sit there and we would say, from a bank perspective, that publishing assets you're gonna have a ten percent or nine percent discount rate on your assets. And then as a bank, we would loan L T V basis of fifty percent. And it was because it was that's loan to value. Loan to value. And on the masters side, what we would have said five years ago is, you know what, that's a master's catalog. There's gonna be a decent amount more variability in the assets, and we don't feel the same way as we do on a publishing catalog. It's news. <laughs> Yesterday's news, but I think relevant because banks are not as quick to adapt. So it's think probably relevant for lending purposes. But in terms of advance rates, our advance rates have gone from thirty five percent on that asset class up to fifty percent, and our discount rates, which used to be fourteen to fifteen percent on master rights, have shifted. So we, I think, as lenders, have become much more aggressive on the space.
2: What are your current discount rates?
4: Anywhere, depending on the catalog, right? high sync catalogs are going to have higher discount rates. Publishing assets will still be with 1% to 2% within a master's master's business, but you're in that 10% range is my view. Some are lower, some are a little bit higher.
0: So we are all independent labels, and independent labels are traditionally extremely independent. I know that's like, duh, but it's really true we don't like to be told what to do. We like to do things ourselves and and most Indies are run by people who are kind of like, I want to do it my way. So debt financing is easier in that regard, right? Because they're basically, the bank is just like, here's some money thunk. See ya. Good luck. Hope you make it work. But equity financing, if someone's coming along and they're actually getting a percentage of your business, how much influence do they have in the day to day running of that business?
2: That's a great question. The answer, again, is it depends on both sides. As the loans get larger in debt, the banks have more control, so they'll put what's called covenants in your loan agreements. These are negotiated conditions on the loan contract that say, you're cool as long as your gross margin doesn't drop a certain amount, or you can use this money only for certain uses and not for others. You have certain reporting requirements, and those go up as loans get bigger. The kinds of loans that Matt makes are, I'm guessing, fully managed loans. There's a more, one or more people who are paying attention to your business at all times. Because, you know, he's he's doing loans, in many cases, $100 million or over. So there's there's different thresholds of management and covenants depending on loan size. And they get bigger and more elaborate the bigger the loans get. On the equity side, again, it depends. But usually they're going to come in, they're going to get some preferred shares, so they're going to be... First, money out and might get some board seats, so they're going to have a say in management. But if you build a business, again, everything goes back to life cycle curves. If you build a business that's at some substantial scale before you take on a partner, there are private equity firms out there who generally get involved in mature businesses, 5 million revenue or more, that take a minority position. So they might have a board seat, but you might have, there might be three yes. board seats. You it all depends too.
4: at what point in time you raise your capital. Yeah, exactly. If you raise your capital early on, I would expect to give up a significant amount of controls. If you're a well-established business that's looking for growth equity and a little bit of a partner, I would expect that person to have a seat at the table, but not necessarily influence your votes. Uh, But there's different ways that you can do things. If you want straight common equity, which is essentially giving up ownership, expect to give a little bit more controls up. If you're looking at preferred equity where you're gonna guarantee somebody some kind of a rate of return, expect that you should maintain more controls. So if there's a broad spectrum of what point in time you raise your capital and then also just how established the business is. Would it, would it be
2: fair to say that the later you wait, the more control you'll retain?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at, maybe not the best example, but if you look at a public company, right? You're, if you're a public company, you're raising money every single day in the market and those shareholders don't necessarily have any say. You have a board of directors that is elected by all of your shareholders, but there is not a significant amount of say from any one investor.
0: was Repulsion by Quasi. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Braunohler wanted a face towel with his face on it? Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail-order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. We're talking to Jason Peterson from Go Digital Media Group, Nari Matsura from Mazarski Consulting, and Matthew Carvajal from J.P. Morgan. So, Matt, if I were to come to you and I was me, a small you you? indie <laughs> label, but with a you know a catalog of six thousand titles that have been around for twenty six years, and you know some of them sell pretty well what would your advice be in terms of looking for financing?
4: If you're looking for equity financing, what I would say is the most important thing is to show sponsorship, show leadership in a well-defined business plan of how you're going to grow from an equity perspective. On the debt side, my biggest attribute that, that our team really looks for is how is the management team organized? One, do you have access to capital? We are the... We try not to, I mean, I wouldn't say we try not to lose money because I think that's everybody, but we are the least risky part of the capital structure. So if there's ever something that goes wrong in the business, we like to know that you have access to additional capital. So if something happens, right, when you go through one of your, you, your loan to value increases or one of your covenants is breached, we want to ha- know that you have that ability to go out to a, another party and say, We need to go ahead and pay down some of this debt. So access to capital, management team, and then the other thing really is just diversification of the catalog. We don't want to see any one artist or any one song really make up too much value because then that's just too much volatility.
2: Well, and you might... Ask Masarski to do an appraisal of her catalog, right? If you were exploring a I would say one hundred
4: percent of the time we will ask a valuation consultant to do that. That might
2: be the first
0: step. That might be the first step. I'm just I'm just wondering if indie labels the vast majority of indie labels are not publicly held. They're usually sole proprietorships or corporations with a board of one or two people. <laughs> so you guys are getting into this market because you're coming into the the master copyright market. But it's like the vast majority of us don't seem to be structured the way banks normally would like to see a company be structured. So what's the workaround for that?
2: I don't
4: know what the workaround
2: is. (laughs) I I, I think what you're getting at is the governance is key, right? They're investing ultimately in the people and they're expecting them to execute. So you want to look normal. You want to look the way they expect you to look. And once you figure that out, Executing and promulgating good governance really is key to getting any financial partner involved. I think
3: also if you're a smaller independent label, just getting clean financials, mm-hmm. clean set of income statements that just look you know, easy to disseminate, easy to follow. Because a lot of times – well, I don't want to make a generalization, but sometimes the smaller owners have their papers are a lot less in order – Oh That's wait, you can... mean all the receipts are in a box? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> been there. So it actually... got a better
2: valuation if you organize <laughs> when you go to her.
3: Well, I always say that our valuations are as good as the data that we receive. Yeah. So the cleaner it is, the better it's going to be for everyone. Right.
0: I just think it's a really interesting proposition. I mean, you know, when I got a call from an investment company, it's being like, you know, I, we're interested in your catalog. We're interested in possibly investing in your company. And I was like, what is that? You know, I mean, I like I've never been to business school. I don't know anything about this. And and I'm like, I think I run a pretty tight ship, but I think you guys will really not think so. You know, so I, I, I it's just an interesting marriage of these two worlds where because I think the way I run an indie label is probably pretty normal, pretty straightforward for for what people do. And then for what you guys do, you know, you do it well. But like, how, do, how can well, we get together and make this work I have for everybody? a concrete
2: <laughs> suggestion. You do what you do well, right, which is curate music, bring it to the market. Find advisors who provide the missing links for you. Your credibility also is directly tied to the credibility of your advisors. So bring in a great lawyer who has great relationships. Bring in a great accounting firm who knows everything about how your financials are supposed to be constructed so that when... Matt looks at it, it looks exactly like what he's expecting to see. They know exactly what your database should look like for all your income so that when Nari looks at it, it looks exactly like what she's expecting to see. Get great advisors. They're worth every penny.
3: It's
0: really good advice.
3: Also, I think indie labels, they have different options. Well, depending on what your own goals are, whether you want to expand or sell or acquire <laughs> or just raise some debt, There are just different options in the marketplace than there used to be. There are different strands of income that people are investing in. Sometimes they're just investing in sound exchange income alone or just your Spotify income streams. So if you don't want to put everything, your entire company under collateral, you might just want to put your top titles up. That'll be acceptable too. So there are just different pieces that you might want depending on what your own goals are. And there's just a lot more flexibility in the marketplace for different types of valuations now. And
4: I would definitely say, now is a point in time within the music industry where there's a significant influx of capital. I've, I think I've covered the music space for 10 years. What was the
2: deal you did last week? Yeah.
4: The biggest announcement right now, I mean, it's been Concord acquiring Mahem, But there's aside from that transaction, there's just been a significant amount of microtransactions that have occurred. Mm-hmm. But the big one really is the amount of, investors looking to deploy capital in these long-term assets. If you take a look at who's coming in, it's pension funds, it's insurance companies, it is even companies who used to buy pharmaceutical royalty runs now are actually investing directly into music assets. So anybody who previously, the high yield index today is at 6% and equity investors are looking for a 15% return. All of these pension fund investors who are looking to get that consistent coupon from publishing assets are coming into this music space. So it's a pretty interesting time and there are opportunities to splice up different parts of your catalogs. If you have long-term, I mean, I always joke around that if I feel like I could go out and make a uh, Casio recording of myself and find some kind of investor to buy it. So there are, there are sources of people buying distinct assets.
3: And for the bigger catalogs, You can take a sample of those songs and if they're representative of the larger catalog as a whole, you can use that as a benchmark for what would take place.
2: What documentation are you going to require from somebody you're doing an appraisal for? I assume you're going to want all the contracts, right? So you can track all those reversions, correct?
4: Yeah, it would be an analysis and we usually would say, give us the analysis for the top earning artists and out of those top earning artists, can we see the underlying contracts? and we would identify any specific reversions in those really to get a sense of the value.
0: Matt, you were saying before well, before the panel that the deals that you guys do are last a certain number of years like 5 years or 7 years.
4: Yeah, bank debt is 5 years. Right. Uh, institutional debt is 7 plus.
0: So if that's the case then would you need all of the contracts to be perpetuity contracts or what if there were, you know, a bunch of big titles but they were all under 15 year license, let's say?
4: Well, the the way that it would work is we would always employ somebody like Nari who would give a valuation of the assets and we would lend, even though we only have a five-year loan, we would lend against the full value of the catalog and her valuation would take into play the fact that some of these assets are only 15-year cash flows. So it kind of would be a self-fulfilling analysis.
0: And Nari, how do you deal with stuff like that when there's licenses rather than perpetuity ownership?
3: Licenses. So, for example,
0: like let's see. say the al- the album was the contract said that it was a license for fifteen years, so the the label had okay. ownership for fifteen. years. So then
3: years. we project out for the fifteen years, and we don't go beyond that point. We okay. project literally for the life of that contractor for that license.
2: It just slightly reduces your catalog value. Yeah, yeah. right. I figured. I might That's add to that that I think the key to understanding the value is really understanding the decay curves of the assets, right, in terms of timing.
3: Absolutely. The life cycle of the assets, the life cycle of a song of one genre or format is very, very different from another. And these are life cycle curves that we have an, analyzed ad infinitum within all of the different formats. And so we very carefully work those into our growth rates. And so we really go very granular and very deeply into the asset. And so you're not going to see just a top line, let's slap on at X percent growth rate. We also look at the correlation between your catalog and the overall industry. So how has the overall industry been trending? What are you doing? Are you higher or lower? Why is that explained by something that's sustainable if you're higher? Or if you're lower, can that be explained just because you're a certain kind of a catalog that's very, very steady over time and it's not going to have those jumps and curves that a newer catalog might have, for example?
0: How are your decay curves affected by like crazy things that happen in the marketplace like sync licensing? Because that'll totally bring something back from the dead. That's happened. Yeah. Sync licensing is
3: really interesting because it's not like sales where there's a certain level of predictability or radio play where there's a certain level of airplay that can be expected over time. But sync is less like you never know. All of a sudden. As you said, the song is you know suddenly needed for a multi-million budget movie or for a car commercial that's going to be running for six months on a major network. And so you'll see these licenses for $300,000 popping out of nowhere. So the question is, what do you do with that? Because, again, from a bank's perspective, this isn't necessarily reliable income. There's a probability, though, that these events will occur within a certain amount of time. So if we have a long enough perspective... We can see just how often these events occur. And then again, because it's rolled up within a catalog, you'll see these outlier events. We'll take those one-offs out of the equation and we'll look at what's more steady across the entire catalog as Sink Income.
0: So it sort of sounds to me like one possible avenue to do this successfully if you're an indie label looking to kind of cross this bridge is to find a professional person to help you do it. Are there people that you can hire to help you, you know, to sort of represent you to help you raise money to to find investors to find to figure out how you could finance your company
2: i mean traditionally this is the job of an investment banker the reality is though that most investment bankers aren't going to get involved unless you get to a certain scale so going back to my life cycle analogy if you're a pre-product series seed or even series a probably not going to get an investment banker to work with you just because there's not enough money in it for them, right? There's an opportunity cost. It takes them the same amount of time and effort, probably more effort to do small deals than it does big deals. For example, I was with an investment banker yesterday uh, who came down to the conference for a few minutes, and he was basically saying, you know, unless the deal size is mid-eight figures, he just can't get involved, right? If it's not a $50 million deal or more. Now, there are people that play at all different levels, you know, and all different points in the life cycle, so there probably are investment bankers that do smaller deals if you find one they can help you but in the beginning it's usually your own hustle if that makes sense and and, you know i mean the banks are public you can get their information off their website
0: awesome well thank you so much to my panelists i really appreciate it great job was 11 by Tao and Mira. You're listening to the future of what? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Elliot Smith, Quasi, Tao and Mira, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.
1: Can I have a taste of your ice cream?